I was meeting with, uh, at the time, Ritz Carlton. And, you know, everybody's knocking on their door. And you go to the fine dining list, and they've got 600 or 1,000 or even 2,000 wines on the list. So, so you spend all this money, you, you know, you, 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 you set us outside the time, you do all the selling, you get a placement, and now your wine is one of 600 or 2,000. Woohoo! How much are you really going to sell? Hi, welcome to the Wine, Whiskey and Weed show. I'm your host, Sid Patel. I'm the CEO of Beverage Trade Network. This is where I call business practitioners to share their insights and tips on how you can grow your weed, wine and spirits business. My guest today is Tim Hanai, and this is where we talk to him about how you can grow your market share and sell into national hotel chains like Hilton and Ritz. So let's dive right into the podcast. So Tim, welcome aboard. Please tell uh, BTN about yourself. Well, I think um, germane to our topic today and in general, I've been passionately engaged in the study of wine since the mid 60s. So it's 53 years now. Uh, I wanted to go into the wine industry first, but I was too young. And so uh, I had also through through my learning about wine, developed a really, really great passion for gastronomy and especially classical French. So uh, my first career was as a uh, professional chef uh, with a really great sense of the classics and the traditions and 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 all of that kind of thing. Uh, and well, so this was before the wine. Uh, well, no, wine actually led me to there. And without going into it too deeply, I found wine was, I just loved it. I loved the history. But when I tried to get a job in the wine industry, they said, well, you're too young to drink. And so, um, so I, 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 I dropped out of college, went to work at Burns Steakhouse in Tampa, uh, then to the, uh, back to Miami to do my formal apprenticeships. But what, what this provided me was a unique insight into the back of the house and operations and working with hotels and restaurants and clubs that as, as we talk a little further um, uh, will will be uh, germane to the discussion and so uh, I did that for 10 years wine was was my application and this was this was before it was hip for a chef to know anything about wine um, and then in 1979, I went into wine retail, spent six years as a wine buyer and retail manager. Uh, oh, wow, I did not know that. One of my fortes is kind of putting together different concepts to come up with new ideas and solutions, which we'll get to when we talk about specifically, you know, hotels and restaurants and, you know, finding distributors and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so when I passed the MW exam, it also um, uh, uh, opened an opportunity uh, within Behringer. Uh, and so I was um, I, uh, moved into the position of director of international uh, business development. So I directly. So that, does that mean like uh, growing existing markets or finding new importers and new markets? Uh, both. I was given direct uh, responsibilities for Canada and Asia. 
uh, and then was also responsible for scoping out, you know, different opportunities around the world. What are the, how did Behringer work? Like, what were the things, what were the new market models uh, and channels which you guys, or which you think where one, one can design their growth uh, towards? Well, as, 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 we, as we go through this conversation, it'll be the same kind of, of formula. Know who you're selling to and, and what their pain points are, what solutions you offer, and what value proposition you put forward. And that has to be at the distributor level, that has to be at the, at the restaurant or store level, that has to be at the, the point of sale, the, the server, the wine consultant, whatever. So you've got to be able to understand the channel all the way through. And you also need to understand critically the cost comparison of doing business. One of the biggest mistakes I see over and over again, people think, oh, well, we're not going to go through distributors. We're going to sell direct in our tasting room or our wine club and this. And, and the fallacy is we're cutting out the middleman. The reality is you are becoming the middleman. <laughs> true, and, true, and, absolutely. Yeah, and so just the cost of shipping a case of wine in-state to a, an account direct or fulfilling in your wine club and whatever, it's, it's not this panacea that all of a sudden you're making all this money because you have new costs, new risks that you're assuming. So, the, so basically my role was to go into the markets and meet with the distributors that we already had, uh, create the, the strategies, the support, you know, what we're going what, what to work on to, to achieve certain bo- uh, volumes. And then as best as possible, you really have no, no control over this, but to, to set the target, targeted volume levels with then the, the spreadsheet of what kind of costs, what we're doing with sampling, what we're doing promotionally, it, Got it. it. And I guess better. at that level, you, you would always have a new brand introduction to grow the market share. And especially from the shelf point of view, you really want to own that shelf, right, of the retailer. So you want to add new SKUs and new, you want to be stronger on that retail shelf if you're such a strong supplier. So uh, I guess, you know, how would you, how would you, what approach was, were you taking uh, when you launched a new SKU or a, or a varietal or even a brand, you know, how, what were the steps into that? Like you told distributors minimum volumes they need to, needed to buy. You did a pre-big drop deals with the big retailers. Like, you know, walk us through that uh, new brand introduction in an existing market. So whenever you, and, and, and this will kind of apply to an existing brand that you need to have more, um, you need to improve your sales. Uh, a new SKU that you're bringing in or a new brand in, let's say, with multiple SKUs. So three three different kinds of scenarios. Uh, the first thing to understand is you may go into the meeting um, with this idea, we're going to tell them what the minimums are or so on, but at the end of the day, you really don't have, all you're doing is proposing and hoping. <laughs> Correct. And you're talking about the retailer now, the meeting with the retailer. That. Uh, uh, it, it, it actually, with any gate, gate, so it could be a restaurateur, it could be a retailer, it could be this or that. Understanding their business now 
the, the same things we talked about in understanding a distributor's business. How, how many lines do they represent? How, um, you know, where are their priorities lying? Like if you go to the UK, there's so much emphasis on buyer's own brand and that that's so profitable, it's really hard to go in with a brand proposition. So you have to have to be, you really have to think carefully, how can I, how can I stand out so that I can get the products on the shelf so that they stand out and will sell through and, and I can have a sustainable uh, 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 business that's, that also will grow. So the thing is, here's what you never hear. Here's what no one will ever hear going into a distributor meeting. Oh, wow, we don't have a product like that. <laughs> you know, we're looking for new products, but they aren't. <laughs> that won't happen. And so trying to sell on uniqueness or the terroir or whatever you know, hook you're using, you've really got to say, okay, here's what we want to do with you. Here's, what, here's how we want to do things differently. So one of the, the most effective tools that I employed at Behringer was helping the retailer, and, and I, it was the same kind of a program with, with restaurants also, I would actually say, what kind of problems do you face? Well, they, they face too many SKUs. They, consumers are overwhelmed, even if, if they have um, in-store consultants or, or, or staff in restaurants and whatever. Uh, we need help uh, having our customers feel satisfied. We maintaining a sense of uniqueness of, of who we are because they've got the same issues around growing their volumes and and also their customer loyalty are, are the two key key drivers. So one of the things that I designed many, many, many years ago, and we're going back now to the early 80s with with a restaurant in Atlanta, we found that we could do groupings of specific wines in what we call a, a discovery center and that it was sort of the safe zone. It was the go-to place in the retail store. And the way it would work, oh, if you're, if you're looking for big, intense red wines, here they are. And these are, you know, Parker High Points. These are Spectator. That's the market these, these wines are for. Um, here's, I think, uh, I think a lot of retailers, you know, especially if you're talking about big chains and big, uh, retail and regional retailers here, when I sold my wine, uh, Tim, I think this was, this is very fascinating. I haven't shared with you, but when I sold my wine, let's say to total wine on another retailers, he, here's what total wine told me, you know, I got to make the most amount of margin in the state. So let's say if it was Delaware, I have to make the highest margin from all other retailers and I have to sell the cheapest. That was their thing. Make it happen and I buy your wine. So every uh, my point is every retailer has their core fundamental principle of buying and selling. So you got to find that out. You know, like if uh, if, if uh, uh, for Kroger's, it was a test tour pilot program 
and they will see the depletion rate in the first 90 days and then they increase their store. So then you got to do whatever it takes to meet that uh, KPI of that retailer. And, you know, for mom and pop, what I used to simply say is, you know, my wine is $7.99, Yellowtail is $7.99. I will not beat Yellowtail, but I will be the second biggest selling Australian wine in your store. Give me Fridays for tastings and I'll make that happen. So I think my, my, my point is that every, every store has something which you just got to reverse engineer and just say that, nothing else. Yes, absolutely. That's, <clears throat> that's and stick to that promise. I mean, deliver in your promise. Yes, and, 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 and this is where the, the really smart people in this business drill in much more deeply than, than kind of topically thinking. And, and let's take Kroger as, as an example. Um, or, or just chain grocery stores for for just a second. Wine is the most reviled, horrible, hated section in grocery <laughs> stores. From the is that true? <laughs> they they hate it. it. Okay, it takes up so much room. There's breakage. It's primarily in glass. Uh, there's returns because the bottle might be bad, and but then there's also it's known the wines that actually returned are rarely bad. It's just not liked. Uh, you've got to have specially trained people if you're going to have any kind of face-to-face customer support, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's a, a long list of why grocery stores hate the wine section. And this is really important to know, especially making... Yeah, because I guess the passions of two parties are not aligned because they are not that passionate about the wine then, that means. And and, and they may be, but from a logistics and and from a a management standpoint, it's a pain in the ass. Um, Kroger and and many of the the, the other stores a couple of decades ago... um, about 15 years ago, made really, really strong commitments to their wine program because of of, of this important fact. Uh, one of the, the numbers that, that guides success in a store, uh, number one is the volume of customers you have. And the second thing is what's called the market basket value. And so about 15 years ago, there was a, a a study that was funded that if there was a bottle of wine in in a basket at checkout and you took the entire value of that cart or or basket uh, remove the the cost of the wine from the basket so you're just comparing apples to apples on on grocery purchase the average value of the basket with the wine after the cost of wine was removed was 40% greater than if there was no bottle of wine. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting study. So the, this commitment to wine isn't because they like the section. It's not because they're passionate about this or whatever. It's just we want those consumers. Absolutely. It's, it's you sell cheese, you sell crackers, you sell many other things. It makes sense. It, yeah. Yep, exactly. So, so again, knowing these kind of details uh, and, and having my background in retail, having been that buyer, having to make those decisions, 
working with distributors and whatever gave me a really unique um, a way to approach uh, customers. And, and, and I can actually share my worst uh, presentation in history when I, we were doing a pitch for an airline and uh, big deal, top people. And I, I went over to the, to the guy who managed that account and um, uh, said, how'd I do? He said, you suck. And I said, why? He said, well, you're talking about all these things and adding value and this, this. They don't, they, they give the wine away for the most part. We were pitching for business and first class business. And they said, you're, 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 you're asking them to do all these things so they can sell more wine, but they actually give it away. <laughs> and so I said, oh, oops. All right. And from that point on, I really, really made it a point to do my homework, find out what these drivers are, find out what the pain points and going into a, a chain buyer and say, hey, look, I know for the most part, from an operation standpoint, people hate the wine section. Uh, what I'm going to do is work with you to find how we can solve problems, how we can better guide customers, what what things that we can bring to the party with my background, with the resources that we have as a company, and how we're how we can help you so your customers are happy, they're they're buying more wine, and wherever possible that we can alleviate any any logistics or operational problems for you. Got it. Very very interesting on that airline. I mean, I I never it would have never crossed my mind because I would have always thought on approaching that like a hotel, like you know when I was when you would sell to a Hilton buyer versus a Delta Airlines buyer, you would approach pretty much the same way because you think it's hospitality high end. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Actually, they are looking for the the best quality, lowest price because it's part of their absolute cost structure. There is no revenue in that. In the first class, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. It's not a revenue, so it's all about cost and so on, and and uh, and it's a whole different ballgame. And then, and then, kind of extrapolating this into a a uh, a hotel example. Yep. So um, let's dive into that. Like, uh, for, uh, let's take a case of Hilton. I remember you told me that you worked on uh, them as a client, and also I'm sure you have experiences to share. Uh, but if you can take a nice deep dive into getting your wines of if a winery was looking to pitch Hilton Hotel, what would be a checklist? Like, you know, are they really ready? So what would that sort of pointers look like? And then we can go into a meeting. How would that meeting look like? Perfect. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm not going to use any names like Hilton or Marriott. Yep. But, but that Appreciate being said, that. In, in, the, in the early 90s, I was on the inner circle of Marriott operations in their beverage program, uh, completely revised and did a huge national rollout of a whole new wine program for Hyatt. I was we were working with Hilton's core project and then all the way to Ruth's Chris to Olive Garden, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And again, the formula is pretty much the same. Um, do some research to find out what their pain points are. What, because uh, again, if you if you just got Wine Spectator Wine of the Year, or or a hundred points from Parker, or whatever, you know that's 
that's all great. That's a, a pull kind of thing. They want your product because it's scarce and valuable. So, so 90% of the time or 99% of the time, that's not happening. Now what? Um, so conducting this research, go in, spend some time uh, talking with managers and buyers at the store level, and, and to sort of frame this conversation, are you selling at a local level or are you selling uh, at a corporate level to a core wine program, which is where the big bucks are? Okay. Meaning they are buying at a corporate level or they're Correct. buying at a, 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 a local hotel level, like a franchisee is buying or something? Well, in a, it, it's a corporate level. It's usually not. Uh, there, there are mandatory placements and that's playing, that's playing a big game. These are so they got, every hotel have to take that wine because it's mandatory. It's the that, part of that program. That's correct. Uh, or are you selling at a local option? So you're working with a distributor in a market to sell to the the local. And so so part of part of that investigation is to to differentiate how what what's their core program if they have any. Uh, is it truly mandatory because so many of these companies, whether it's TF Chang's or whether it's, it's Marriott or, or even Ritz Carlton, there will be franchisees that, that the corporately run uh, hotels or, or stores or restaurants have to use certain things. But then, but then like with Marriott, 60% of it was franchisees. So it was their, they didn't have to conform to the, the, the core program. So, so, so figuring out how all that works and then um, identifying the, the, the key gatekeepers and, and who you have to talk to. Uh, maybe at the local level, the F&B manager, it might be the, um, uh, the sommelier at an outlet, etc. At the corporate level, again, you're going to then have to, you know, who's the who's the the, the core wine team? What's their process for tasting? Uh, what are their expectations for support of a core program? So, if you're trying to do something at a mandatory level, whether it's a, a P.F. Chang's or Ritz Carlton or or uh, Applebee's or whatever, uh, you'll have to have probably uh, distribution in all 50 states. You will have to have an understanding of the pricing by state and compliance because of all those issues yep. and whatever. I was and just about to uh, go into that. So I guess one of the core requisite would be to have a national distribution if you are pitching to a national buyer. Like you, you either have to be, I mean, that leaves no choice. I mean, sort of you have to be in Southern Glazer RNDC network. Is that true? Or Well, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be those. But you do have to have availability in all fifty states, and and. But then, uh, do like let's say, does Hilton have pre-approved distributors? Uh, let's say New York, for example, they work with. Because if I'm with us another distributor which does not do any business with Hilton, that sort of puts me out in New York. There may be, but but I don't know if there's a an approved distributor list. They just need to be. It, it needs to have a, a, a route to market that you can get the product there legally and, and that 
this. So, so I'm not as familiar with approved distributor lists as I am approved. I mean, approved lists. vendors. You know, uh, yeah. Like sometimes you just have to have a whole new vendor application, which is just another different topic altogether. Right, and, and so, but they they do that. You know, small distributors virtually have to do that anyways. So. So, so, so it's usually not an approved dis- distributor. You know, there may be favorites. What about the volumes, uh, Tim? Like, uh, do you know? Do they see that this winery has to have like a whatever, like a one million case winery, or don't even bother asking us because they want to see the stability. They want to see that sort of size. Like, is that a size limitation to pitch into chains like Hilton or Marriott or big buyers? It, it's it's actually just. An, an assurance that there won't be a disruption of availability. So, so you may have a product that, heck, if you got it into a, you know, a, a, a Marriott program, it might not be a high volume item. Uh, so maybe there's a unique feature or, or a great relationship you have with the company or whatever that gets you placed. The kiss of death is disruption of supply. And, and so especially on the wine list reprinting and, <clears throat> and support, if you get a placement, and this goes for a mom and pop, you know, store on, fine wine store on the corner to... to I agree. To, you, you don't want to have that empty spot. You know, that's oh the worst God. thing. Oh, my God. Yeah, you, you go in and you get that placement and then all of a sudden they run out. And, and you're done. I mean, you're never you're, able you're to tough. win that retailer again. Yep. Yeah, you are now go to the end of the line. You're the last person they ever yep. want to see again. Yeah. Agreed. And until until hundred customers are coming every day asking for your wine. Right. And so 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 rather than thinking of, uh, you know, what's our production size? What's what's our capacity to to provide on a an uninterrupted basis to the to the placements we make? So it's that. Uh, Customer relationship management essential piece. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the marketing piece of it? Like, you know, how how much uh, big of a marketing uh, budget or program you have to put in this uh, presentation to the national people? Like, you know, pulling, basically, what I'm trying to get to is: Are they asking you to get footfalls for them and deplete? Yeah, they. And, and this becomes kind of tricky because, again, in every state it's different. The programming and posting off and, and those kinds of things are different in every state. Uh, the from a marketing standpoint, again, they want they want an insurance that this wine is profitable for them, meaning good. That that's the first step. Number two, that having it will satisfy a customer. Uh, need so again do your homework on uh, market segmentation and and, and 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 why having this wine on the list would be value be very very careful in marketing promises or in support and I'm, I'm going to throw this under marketing because it really is and this is the fallacy oh we'll come in and educate your staff or we'll conduct tastings for the most part, they don't even want you to there. <laughs> um, yep, you're right. D- distributors. So, w- what sort of support programs are they really looking for? You know, well, when it comes yeah, to the let hotels. Me, let, let me figure this out. 
or, or expand on this a little bit more because it'll it'll then segue into what do you do, um, and and that is presupposing that because this is the the industry call to action that it's actually what the customer wants. <laughs> so so this is again where the the engagement, doing your homework, and so forth is trying to figure out what the cost customer wants. So. An example of this was I was um, meeting with, uh, at the time, Ritz-Carlton, and, you know, everybody's knocking on their door, and you go to the fine dining list, and they've got 600 or 1,000 or even 2,000 wines on the list. So so you spend all this money, you, you know, you, 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 you set aside the time, you do all the selling, you get a placement, and now your wine is one of 600 or 2,000. Woohoo, how much are you really going to sell? So I leveraged my contacts and, 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 uh, and, and we, we started to drill in, and Two things we so learned. meaning you you were making friends with sommeliers and just saying hey buddy need a favor help me move some wine is that is that what you mean by leveraging yeah, contacts yeah basically yeah saying hey you know I'm you know I'm with this winery and we're trying to do this what what do you, where are the opportunities what are what do you expect from a good supplier right what can we do for you. I love that because I think people like I would always go and ask the store clerk like, hey, how can I help you hand sell this wine or do more? Exactly. Yeah, yeah you're right. So what, what were their answers? Here's well, here's the caveat. What they'll tell you will probably not help you one iota in actually making the sale. <laughs> Because they're talking from their point of view, they're the expert, they, they do the selling. So, so it's just sort of a listening. And, and, and what you can listen for at sort of the sommelier, F&B, wine manager, wine buyer level is what their world looks like. And, and that might have nothing to do with actually the gatekeeper, the decision maker who's going to get the placement made that's what that's what i found out and you're right it's being a likable guy right i think that's where you're going it's like hey i like the supplier i like this guy i like tim all right so uh you know just because i like him let me let me put uh, offer his wine to my customer well yeah and i like the product i like the price and i I can oh yeah of course (laughs) wine or add this yeah Uh, uh but you're working on kind of a micro basis and you get the pl- placement, and it really doesn't matter. So w- one of the stories that that really struck me, uh, back when I was a broker, uh, one of the wineries I represented was McDowell Valley Vineyards uh, from Lake County and uh, Mendocino area. And, and, I, and I was talking to the owner, Rich Keen, and I said, okay, I've got to s- set up to go you know, to the Ritz and meet with the sommelier. He said, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want you to find the hottest spot in Atlanta and I want to go there and I want to get, uh, uh, figure out a way to in, in, invite the, the manager and get drunk with him. Got it. 
And I said, okay. So he was focusing on the corporate guy and you were sort of uh, telling him, I want to go to that actual guy who talks to the customers in that restaurant. Well, he was going to a higher gatekeeper. Yeah, understood. And instead of being one wine out of a thousand on a list, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he wanted to go for the house wine. He wanted to, to uh, get the house yep. wine for. Okay. And that if we were successful in that approach, it could equate to 50 cases a week. So what happened? Did you, what, what approach did you guys take? So we went, we went to Virginia Highlands to this hip new place that had a waiting line and people, you know, 3D so you called, at the bar and the... whatever. We went late. Mm-hmm. So, so we actually went at like 11 o'clock. Uh, we we had we had already set up to speak with the manager after the shift, not before when, which was horrible timing, and spent time with him. Got the poor, got a couple uh, of the higher end placements, and knocked it out of the park. So, guys, let me pause here. It's super important that we understand what he's trying to say. Access is one of the most underestimated and the most important thing in any trade, especially in the wine business where the community is so small and if you are in the game for the long run, you will come across uh, you know, the people, you, you will meet them again. And the game is really different when it comes to national chains, national accounts and even big accounts like Vinny's, Festival Foods, Total Wine. It's all about the access. What you really want to do is make a rapport and talk about a relationship more than anything else. You know, focus more on building that connection and earning that trust. So let's go back to the podcast. Now let me segue this into the Ritz Carlton solution. So after after collecting, talking to the sommeliers and food and beverage directors, that was all well and good, but we also did some deeper digging, and I was, I was part of an, an organization, um, Incentive Marketing Incorporated, uh, that, that, has, that helps fund um, high-level wine programs. It turned out in conversation, one of the biggest corporate problems was corporate inventory on wine was through the roof and out of control. This was at the same time the biggest problem for P.F. Chang's and for many other uh, uh, companies. Number one, because of a parade of sommeliers and and well-intentioned wine buyers take over the wine program, put the wines they're passionate about, can sell those for a while, they leave and that inventory is now stuck, bring in the next expert, they buy the wine. Makes sense. There. Makes sense. Like you know, the churn rate of some liters is going to affect in the inventory for sure. Yep. Yep. And so, so I was able to do two things that had a profound, profound impact. Number one was find out that this was one of their biggest problems that they couldn't solve was inventory. The second prop thing, it wasn't actually a problem to solve, but an opportunity. At the time, 90%, 97% of F&B 
profitability came through banquets, catering, and and events, not in the not from the outlets. Hmm. Okay. So let's now start talking to the banquets and catering departments. Maybe we don't need to spend that time with the sommeliers comparing notes of great wines and you know pins and certifications and all that crap. So how do we get on this? And so so from doing that, we designed a program, uh, identified a couple of opportunities, and uh, put in place a program that in within 60 days from the inception of, of this programming, and, and what it was is a, is a one-page progressive wine list of, of, the, of recommendations um, broken down by sweet wines, light, delicate, you know, graduate, progressing from, from mild, low-alcohol sweet to strong, tannic, bitter. Uh, designed a training program to use that for, for the hotels to highlight good product that fit in a certain category and, and therefore was for the banquet department solving a big problem, for the server solving a big problem, and, love and it, if it came to go to... Solve their big problems, I guess I would, I would summarize into that uh, if you're aiming for a big, big account, for sure. And with a good data and a good solution, I, I think that that's a very nice way. Uh, and I think they don't want to spend so much money. You know, uh, when I when I spoke with some contract bottlers, like especially in London, like Broadland wineries, for example, you know, I'm very good friends with Mark Lansley. So I think one of the great things they do is give they do give uh, solutions. They spend so much money in research and data for Tesco, you know, forget about uh, their own stuff like they would do research for the retailers and offer them solutions like how you were just mentioning you know they would spend millions of dollars coming up with like hey we see that uh, canned wine is the next big move but they will back it up with the data and research and then they offer with a solution that product to you know their national buyers exactly and 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 so so then maybe maybe the kind of Drill in in the in, in a something actionable for everybody who might be listening to this podcast. You know, this is great if you're a treasury wine estate or a constellation or Gallo or something like that. But how the hell am I going to do that, right? Um, so uh, what we're what we're able to do with this program in 60 days, we were able to lower corporate inventory by eight million dollars. Uh, it was just a home run. Now the 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 great news was it actually gave even more confidence of what we could do and then gave us new strategies to employ in different ways. Um, and for a long time, I worked on the inner circle of, of Marriott while I was a supplier, which is, <laughs> which is really great, but I was, I was doing operations and, and so forth. And I became a problem solver for their organization. You won their trust, I mean, yeah. You just yeah. won their trust by helping them. It, exactly. And, and, and that's the key. The, the trust and the value that you can supply. And this can be done at a, at a small level, too. Because what happened was I, I became the go-to problem solver to go to certain properties uh, for both Ritz and Marriott. And I, I, and I did this with Starwood when that was separate and for Hyatt also. 
So I was asked to go down to one of their properties to assess their wine program. And, and so I'm going to, this is something I discovered that the, one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen in, in, in everything I've seen in this business. So I go down, we're looking at inventories, we're looking at wine lists, and this hotel was a, myth, a mess, again, from a progression of well-intended beverage managers and sommeliers, filling up inventory, filling up the hotel, and with, with too much product. I get down to the banquet department, and again, I'm a trusted insider, and, and, and I'm, I'm looking at their sales numbers and, and uh, inventories, and there's this little winery and it's the number one selling wine in the beverage and catering department. And I'm going, hmm, now what the hell is this and why is that there? It was a, a little winery in Alameda. Uh, the, the property was in San Francisco's, I guess it's okay to say, J.W. Marriott and Union Square. And I said, and so I asked the I said, holy moly, look at the amount of this wine that you're selling. And they said, oh, and they were kind of embarrassed because, um, you know, they, they have certain, certain responsibilities for core wines and so on. This wasn't, wasn't a corporate program. And they said, this is the coolest guy. It's a little winery. And they, the guy came in and said, here's our wines. want you to taste them first. Do you like the quality of the wines? Everybody agreed. Yeah, the wines are terrific. They said, okay, now here's the cost, and here's what we want you to sell them for. And they said, we don't want to compete against your core wines and, and the big companies and whatever. We want Here's where we think you could position these wines, and you would have anywhere from 30% to double the margin selling these wines than any of the other wines on your list. Oh, okay, now that gets attention. But, but how are we going to sell them? People aren't familiar. He said, so here's what I'll do. I am available for you 24-7, uh, and I'll get myself set up as a vendor, which is a lot of paperwork, which is really hard to do, for, for a company like Marriott for them to buy direct from, from, from the producer. Uh, if you have wine that you've ordered for a, a party or an event or whatever and they're out of stock, give me a call. I'll come at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, get, get you the wine you need as a replacement. You can count on me. If, I love that guy, yep. <laughs> if you ever have a large group a convention, a meeting, whatever, a, a, a wedding, and they want a wine experience, I'll be your on-call winemaker. Anytime you sell to a party or this or that, I'll come out, I'll talk about the wines, we can do tastings, so I'm your guy. This, this was the coolest thing I think I've ever seen in all my years in this industry. And the guy sold... 10% of his production in his tasting room and through his mailing list wine club in Alameda. And he sold 90% of his production through one single hotel. Amazing, amazing. 
yeah. I think I think uh, it's it's really you know the hustlers and people who listen and people who talk the language of the customer is is sort of you know the people who are going to get more attention for sure.